to chat with Dr. Lisa Young, a professor of political science at the University of Calgary. Uh, Dr. Young, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. So, um, I was a little surprised that on the sixth ballot, Danielle Smith won. I thought the farther down the ballot we went, uh, the less the chance was that she would be the winner. I thought first ballot, second ballot, yeah, okay. But I thought her chances would diminish as we went down. Turns out I was wrong. That's happened before. What was your reaction? Well, uh, you know, it was a bit of a nail-biter, not knowing the outcome. But I think, you know, even when we were looking at this uh, a month in advance, the real question was how Brian Jean supporters would, uh, you know, what they would do with their second preferences. And, you know, it's really interesting when we look at this all, you know, in the light of day the morning after, the majority of them went to Travis Taves, but that wasn't enough to get Taves. up and over the 50%. Uh, Smith was already so far ahead because she got so much, uh, well, so much of her own support uh, on the first ballot, um, but also because she got uh, so much support from Todd Lowen. Right, exactly. And uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, doing it with uh, Rob Breckenridge last night, we were both talking about that. Okay, we're now down to Brian Jean votes. Have they forgiven and forgotten and are willing to uh, jump in with Danielle Smith or are those grudges still there? The resentment for crossing the floor and pretty much ending the Wild Rose. And like you say, it was split, but it was just enough to put her over the top. Exactly. And, you know, it was really such a strange thing to see, you know, second preferences from the former Wild Rose leader (laughs) going to the other former Wild Rose leader to elect her as leader of the UCP, right? I mean, this really was the revenge of the old Wild Rose party at some uh, level. It was very, very interesting. So I guess the, the, the entire exercise, as we know, was meant to end the division and to try and unite the party. Based on the result that we saw, a three and a half percentage point win on the sixth ballot, I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, look, we're all united and on the same page. It doesn't come out that way. Yeah, it it certainly underlined the challenge that she's going to face in terms of caucus management. Yeah. Is that the major issue? I mean, of course, we've got the election looming in seven months, but I guess job one is to try and get a team together, right, and deal with that division and see if she can't put it behind them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the trick here is, I think everyone in the caucus wants the party to win the next election. So they they want to be united. The question is, can Smith create the conditions that allow them to be united? The, you know, the, the old Wild Rose folks, the, the people who were opposed to a lot of what Jason Kenney did, they're back in the tent. But can she keep the you know, Kenny side of the party. And I think the critical issue here is the Sovereignty Act. Will she back away from what she said and, you know, water down the Sovereignty Act to the point that the Travis Taves and and others uh, in the party who were such outspoken opponents of it can find a way to hold their nose and support it. And that is the critical test. This is the thing. I think you're so right. Uh, You know, she has said it's going to be Bill 1. It's the first thing that she wants to accomplish. We've had four of these leadership candidates on stage denouncing it and saying they cannot and will not support it. It's a built-in caucus revolt. Uh, Can Travis Taves now pivot and say, well, she's changed it just enough that I can support it? I mean, the stance was so strong, Lisa. Is there room to move there? 
I don't know. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about how you water this down yeah. to the point that it still satisfies her supporters, but is acceptable to someone like Travis Taves. And it's pretty hard to do that. Um, you know, they might be able to fall back on the argument that the legislation that she put forward just creates, you know, a process for uh, opting out of federal legislation, but it's still creating a process for doing something that's unconstitutional. She might promise, you know, that she would pass it, but not have it uh, promulgated as law, the way that the NDP did with the turn off the taps legislation. But that involves a lot of trust, um, you know, that she's not actually going to move forward with it that way. So that's a critical question. And it's got to be a question that's being discussed right now. It has to be. In conversations about who will sit in her cabinet because if you agree to sit in cabinet you agree to support her government's agenda and you need to under these circumstances know what that is yeah i mean it it would just to be a fly on the wall would be fascinating uh what about and there's a lot of talk about mandate and and people are upset she doesn't have a well she does i mean that's how our systems work and and she can go ahead and do it if she but does she need to run at least in a by-election forget about the general election does she need to have a seat before she starts implementing some of these uh, actions Absolutely. I think before she can do very much, she needs a seat. And I understand that uh, MLA Frey uh, has just resigned her seat and suggested that Danielle Smith run. So I think we're going to see a by-election called, you know, momentarily. Uh, if, If not today, then Tuesday. And it will be in the rural riding. She's not going to be running in Calgary Elbow, right? Yeah, I mean, a, a seat has just been cleared for her as she signaled, you know. Uh, but the question is, is she going to also call a by-election in Calgary Elbow? Right. Um, she said she might not. And I think, you know, that's a disastrous first political move to say, you know, me getting into the legislature is important enough to call a by-election for the people of Calgary Elbow. Oh, that's not an important enough, you know, that they have representation in the legislature. And I think for someone who has to win over Calgary, that would be a terrible first move. Yeah, I mean, there are so many landmines out there. Going forward with only seven months, um, how do you go about this? Like you say, there are so many different things that she's put out that a lot of people have problems with, a lot of people like, uh, but what do you anticipate the next six or seven months looking like? Uh, Is it going to hold together, I guess, is the question, Lisa. I don't know. I think that, <laughs> yeah, that, that's my honest answer. I think that the, you know, the real obstacles come in the next months or two months while she navigates around the Sovereignty Act, while she puts together a, a cabinet. And I think we'll know a lot more once we see what's in this legislation and if things fall apart. If she can get past that, then I think she's actually in a position to do, you know, we use the word pivot a lot, Mm -hmm. but I think she's in a a position to pivot. And I think some of what we saw in her speech last night was laying the groundwork for the pivot. A lot of people heard her fiery rhetoric at the beginning and thought, okay, that's who Danielle Smith is going to be. And to some extent, that is who she's going to be, I think. But later in the speech, she started talking about strength and compassion. 
And I think that there she might very well have a strategy that could make things difficult for for Rachel Notley and the NDP. If she opens up the taps on spending, if she's able to, you know, talk about the importance of being compassionate about helping those who are vulnerable, um, those who are struggling with uh, the rising cost of living, and she can back it with actual action, then, you know, she could find a path to to winning the next election um but there's a lot of you know there's a lot of uh, places where it could all fall apart before she gets yep. there so you know that's what i'm going to be watching over the next few months yeah uh for people like you and myself who get, get paid to talk about this kind of thing uh we've got lots to go over <laughs> for the next six or seven <laughs> months and i'll be <laughs> leaning on you to help us navigate it all thank you very much dr young My pleasure. That is Dr. Lisa Young, who is a professor of political science at the University of Calgary. And um, yeah, we're set up for a very, very interesting campaign into the spring election. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.